Thank you for listening to the, to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands, of the Woodlands podcast. podcast. You can find you us find at woodlandsadventist.org and current events. Visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you and have a great day. Well, last night we started with this verse. So the dragon was enraged with the woman. And went out off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Well, last night we covered this part, those who keep the commandments of God. Now we're going to see what this part is about in general terms. Because these two markers, according to this verse, Revelation 12, 17, found in our Bibles, these two markers identify the people who the dragon is upset with, right? Identifies the people whom the dragon is going after. And so these people here, have you see it, so the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and, and for those of us who didn't flunk English, um, joins them, right? It's not but or or, it's and. So these people have to have both qualities. And so this phrase, the testimony of Jesus, is to be deciphered. And it is deciphered by letting the Bible interpret itself. And the fact is, this phrase is only found in the book of Revelation. And so in general terms, it begins, we, we hunt down the definition of this phrase by the verses found here in Revelation 1 through 3. And listen, this is the beginning of the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now you can look at this in two different ways, right? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, meaning Christ owns it, right? And it, and it is his, as we will see, but it's also... Another meaning is that it is revealing Christ in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the final showdown, in the midst of your darkest moments, Christ will be there. He will reveal himself, even if it's in a still, quiet voice like he did with Elijah. And so the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place, and he sent and signified it by his angels to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. There's that phrase. To all things that he saw. And there is a blessing for those of us who understand the word of God, but primarily in this case, speaking of the book of Revelation. What is the blessing? The blessing is to those who read, those who hear the words of this prophecy, and... Keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. It does us no good, and we do not receive the blessing if all we do is read and hear. Because if we don't put it in place, if we don't keep that which we read and hear, it doesn't do us any good. And the Bible tells us in the book of James that the devils believe in God. But they don't keep his commandments. They don't love God and keep it. For the devils believe and tremble, but they do not believe and keep the commandments of God. And so when you look at this, there is a pattern here that is a, not a pattern, but a, 
uh, pecking order, you want to say, of what we in theological circles call how revelation and inspiration works, right? There is a, a step here, and, and we'll see it here in the chart, right? It said that God gave it to Jesus. God gave to Jesus the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? The authority to, to reveal what he's revealing. He communicated it to his angels. The angels gave it to the bondservant. And following this script, you may wonder, did, was that really there? So let's go back, right? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him, Jesus, to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. So going back, God gave it, the revelation of Jesus Christ, meaning he gave him the authority to communicate it to his angels who communicated it to his bond servants. And we receive the words of this prophecy, right? And we are blessed by reading, hearing, and keeping. So once again, God gave it, Jesus, to the angels. John says he testified, let me go back again, to all things that he saw, right? And then we receive the words of this prophecy. But, the, but we'll see something here that's interesting. John says he testified to all that he saw. And that is true. But he did not write everything that he saw. Right? Because you can testify about something and say, yes, this was shown to me, but I am not allowed to tell you what I was shown. So he's testifying that he was shown something, but he wasn't allowed to tell us one particular thing. And it gives us a clue into what this testimony of Jesus is that his commandment-keeping people at the end have. What did John testify to? To the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even all that he saw. And so we have the revelation of Jesus Christ, what God gave, the testimony of Jesus Christ, what John saw, the words of the prophecy, what John wrote. So what John saw in the testimony of Jesus is not the book of Revelation. Because he did not write everything that he see, yet what we receive, right, which is given unto us is the words of this prophecy, which if we read it, hear it, and keep it, we are thereby blessed. So that which was not given to us does not negate the fact that if we read, hear, and keep, we still receive the blessing. But for some reason, the Lord decided to put in the fact that he left something out. And it's found in, well, what is the testimony of Jesus? It is a visionary gift that God gave to John which resulted in the book of Revelation. And we'll, we'll unpack this, right? So John received this vision. He saw. And that spirit of which he's gotten, which has passed on to God's church, was used to write the book, but it's not the same as the book. 
It is not the book of Revelation itself. Listen here. Revelation 10.4. When the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, right? The book of Revelation, he was going to include it. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. So John heard something. He was about to write it down because he's testifying of all that he saw. But he was given strict instructions not to write them down. And there, by the way, is that number again. Seven that plays such a prominent role in the book of Revelation. And so John is excited, right? He hears something. And if you know the context of Daniel chapter 7, you can deduce that he was about to hear perhaps when the second coming would take place. But he was told not to write it down and we're all left hanging. <laughs> wondering what it was that he heard. But if you know your Bibles and you know, especially the Gospels, oftentimes when God speaks, many people hear it as a thundering voice, but those who hear their voice know it as the word of God. Many times in the Gospels, some people hear the word of God, others think it was just thunder. And so whatever this information is, some of us in the theological circles speculate that it was the announcement of the second coming but no one knows the hour but the father and obviously he can divulge it to whoever he wants John was forbidden from writing it but whether it was that or something else whatever it was we didn't need it because those of us who read the book hear the book and keep the book are blessed by their information in the book. This is confirmed by a comparison, right? Of Revelation 19.10 and Revelation 22.8.9. This phrase, the testimony of Jesus. And that it's, and what we're confirming here is that the book itself is not the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is that prophetic gift that John received that allowed him to proclaim new truths to God's people. And so here's a comparison of those two verses. And you will see they have a lot in common. And we're going to do some English grammar here. It says, and I fell at his feet to worship him. This is John speaking, right? He saw what he saw and he's so overwhelmed that he falls at the feet of an angel, mind you. And the angel tells him, do not worship me. Unlike the other angel who fell from heaven who seeks worship. Right? This angel, a saved angel, an angel that has remained loyal to God, knows his place that only God should receive worship. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and, right, makes a, a, a separate part of the sentence and of your brethren who have what there's that phrase the testimony of Jesus worship God for the testimony of Jesus is what the spirit of promise right it's right there 
when you compare it to this verse, you see the similarities. Then he said to me, see that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant. Once again, John, overwhelmed by what he sees, wants to worship. And, and just like we tell our kids several times, don't do that. Sometimes they get so excited, they forget what you told them. And John is, I mean, picture if, you, if, if you're given a vision of the last days. Wouldn't you be excited? Right? And so John here, standing in the presence of an unfolding, unfallen, non-sinful being, is just overwhelmed by what he sees. And, and, rem and remember from John, I mean, Revelation chapter 1, this was probably the angel that God used to give John the vision. So all this is coming from that angel because the Father gave it to Jesus. Jesus gave it to an angel who signified it to John. So this is probably that angel. See, see that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant. Once again, Hebrews tells us that angels are ministering spirits. They minister. They're, they're constantly going to the throne of God and coming back from heaven to earth. You know, your guardian angel probably takes a three-hour, eight-hour shift, goes back up, comes back. I don't know, but you get it, right? They're ministering. God's not doing all the work himself. They're ministering angels. So they consider themselves servants, and we partner with them, right, to preach the gospel. And, here's that and separating, and of your brethren, what? The prophets. So here, your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Your brethren who have the prophets. So those who have the testimony of Jesus have the title of prophet or have that prophetic utterance, right? You don't have to be necessarily a prophet to prophesy if you're prophesying the word of God. And so we're gonna look at this just from the angle of the church not necessarily any individual. So here you see it. And of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Throughout the book of Revelation, it's constantly that reminder because the revelation of Jesus Christ is the last book of the Bible explaining the last final events of Earth's history. And the call, especially in the climax or in the, the heart of the book, Revelation 13 and 14, which we saw last night, Seven times the word worship is used to worship the beast once for God, but eight total times at the heart of Revelation is the word worship. And the question is, who are you going to worship? Right? Who are, who are we going to worship? Who are we going to testify? And so this prophetic spirit is found in God's commandment-keeping people. And that is why... The church of the remnant have two distinguishing characteristics. They keep all of God's commandments, no 10% discount. And they have a prophetic gift in their midst. That's why this church, my church that I preach, has the only prophetic sermons or, or prophecy, understanding of prophecy, that ties all of earth's history together and sees the progression from Daniel chapter 2 all the way till now, the last days. 
No other church teaches this. And it's because we've been given this prophetic insight, not that we discovered it on our own, but we have remained faithful to it while others have departed from it. And so that's why we preach the three angels' message. Faithfully. Because God has blessed us. The largest hospital system, Protestant hospital system in the world, the largest school, Protestant school system in the world. Those who follow the health message live the longest. Our students do the best when you when you filter it out for the fact that we take all students, not just the cream of the crop. And so God has blessed us, and I'm not ashamed to say that. Why? Because it's not about me. All glory goes to him. And so this is the, the, those who the devil died. Why? Because especially those who keep the commandments of God, especially the fourth commandment, are pointing back and calling people to remember our creator who alone is worthy to be worshipped. But then when you add this portion of it, we, as we preach this in a regular Daniel and Revelation seminar, we expose the players in this world. And if God is going to be faithful to the rules of engagement, if he's going to be faithful to his covenant blessings, then he can't give a discount if you're only keeping this one and not this or if you're only keeping this and not this for God is full of integrity his ways never change his love never changes but he is faithful to his covenant blessing so then the second half of tonight's presentation is how do we become part of this group because God has a dilemma Right? We read, we hear, and we heed the things which are written, for the time is near. But God has a dilemma. Did you know that? I'm about to tell you, and it's found in Scripture. Because we, as a human race, abdicated jurisdiction of this planet to Satan because we sinned. And the Bible tells us that or God even told us there in Genesis chapter 3 when the woman and the man sinned that the day of you eat of it you will surely what? Die. So that made us sinners. And throughout all of scripture the Bible doesn't hesitate to call us sinners. We are helpless. Christ died for us. We are sinners. Christ died for us. All three of these examples are found in Romans chapter 5. And yet while we were still enemies, God died for us. That's what he did for us. But here is God's dilemma. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. You're wicked and you've been justified. Jesus was sinless, and yet he was condemned. How do we reconcile this? Is he violating his own proverb? 
He who justifies the wicked, us, we've been justified. And he who condemns the just, Christ died. Both of them are like an abomination to the Lord. So we have to reconcile this. So that's what we'll do. Because the Bible tells us the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be himself. So it kind of seems like and no, there's no room here for substitution. You have to pay for your own sins, according to Ezekiel 18.20. More so surely I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. We have often heard, and you've heard me say at church, the phrase that is true, but if taken to its too far, it is false. The phrase that says, Jesus died so you would not have to. Theologically, in a sense, it's true. However, if the death of Jesus Christ is the only death you experience, and you do not die to self, then the cross of Jesus Christ will have been in vain for your life. You would not have surrendered. And here Jesus himself tells us that unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And unless we not realize what he's talking about, he says, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Our sinful nature must die. Not suppressed, not put to sleep, but completely die. And we must be reborn again. At the beginning of the series, we talked about who is the Lord that asks us to follow him. And how do we follow him? Well, it begins with death to self. To death to our ways, our thoughts, our, 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 um, what's the word, propensities, and to live for him. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. All things, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And a lot of times we look at this and see the word new creation and we think, Oh, no, I just become a better uh, better uh, product of myself or better version of myself. No, there is no better version of yourself. Yourself must die and be born again. Or everything that you were prior to coming to Christ must be left in the watery graves of baptism, must be left at the feet of the cross, and you must die. How often the Bible says? daily because the enemy is trying to resurrect that old person but I am no longer the, the, the man I was when I spent 12 years away from the Lord by God's grace 
and by faith, I am a new creation. This is not just the Bible speaking spiritually, but it's a spiritual reality that when we come to Christ, if we have truly surrendered to Christ, we are a new creation. And why is this important? Because the new birth is a rare experience in this age and time. You knock on nine out of ten doors and everybody's a born-again Christian. And yet the morality in this country is sinking faster than even in the 80s and 90s when I thought it was bad. This is a reason why there are so many perplexities in the church, we're told. Many, so many who assume the name of Christ are unsanctified and holy. They have been baptized... But they were buried alive. Self did not die. And therefore did, they did not rise in newness of life with Christ. Many people join the church. But they bring the world with them. They bring their own habits. They bring their own desires. They bring their own self that they want their way or the highway. But we are a collective body, those who are in Christ, of believers who are willing to serve until the end and serve people to the foot of the cross. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, we have to be in there. He is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we will also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And that has to become a reality in our life. Our self must die with Christ, just like Christ died on the cross. We must die die to self to all our propensities and desires and be resurrected for his will and his will alone knowing this that our old man was what once again that imagery crucified with him and if you know anything about Roman crucifixion you didn't survive that you might have been there seven days but it was sure death if they had to speed it up, they'd break your bones like they did the two thieves. But, but the immense uh, pain and suffering on Christ's life, he died before they had to break his bones. But we have to be crucified with him. That the body of sin may be what? Transformed? Made better? No, done away with. That we should no longer be a slaves to sin because that's our human nature. For he who has died has been free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We can choose to be united with Christ. And we can choose not to be united with Christ. It's all what we've been preaching in the last five days 
about the covenant stipulations and the covenant rules of engagement, that all of it is based on love. And at the heart of love is what? Freedom. Freedom to be united, freedom not to be united. He will not make you or force you to be united with him. You have to truly be desirous of wanting to be with him. I heard something today that I had never thought about it in that way, but it makes a lot of sense, and I want to share it with you. You know, we often say, you know, there's this debate in theology, not necessarily in our denomination, but in theology that says, uh, some people say you can't lose your salvation. Other persons say you can lose your salvation. But this other person that I read today said something that I was like, yeah, I like that better, and I'm going to use that from now on. And I'll put it this way. I no longer believe that you can lose your salvation. Now, before you throw me out the door, <laughs> let me clarify. Because think of the notion of law, losing. Yeah, as a matter of fact, yesterday, uh, we were walking around the lake, my wife and my three daughters, and we came across and we found a pair of keys. And I right away knew, had a good idea who those keys belonged to, because about halfway earlier, we were halfway through the walk, earlier, almost at the beginning, we saw a woman riding a bicycle. Now, why did I think it was her? Because if you're walking and you drop keys, you're gonna hear them. But if you're on a bicycle and you're zooming by, you're gonna drop them. That is what I consider you lose. Did you know, did she know she lost them at that moment? No. So does salvation work like that, that you won't know you lost it? I like what this person said. You don't lose salvation. Oh, man. Oh, you relinquish salvation. Why? Because it becomes a choice then. You, it wasn't relinquishing you. Oh, man. It was a forfeit. You forfeit salvation. Why? Because when you forfeit something, it's a choice. You've made the choice not to be united with him. You made the choice not to die with Christ and be resurrected with him. So yes, I understand we use the phrase lose it, but I like forfeit better because it implies the choice. The cross is the ultimate crossroad. It is there at the foot of the cross that we make the decision. We will either live for him and die to self or we will continue to live for self. And do not present your members as instruments of what? Unrighteousness, to sin. That's what the devil wants in this battle. But present yourself to God as being alive from what? The dead, that imagery again. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law, but under grace. I no longer respond. To what I used to respond when I was in the world. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of things in the world now that I used to revel in that I, I, I can't believe I used to do those things. Why? Because I'm not longer that person who craved those things and responded to those things. By the grace of God, all of us who have surrendered to God are new creations. But we're like babies. Even in the maturity of a master's of divinity degree, 
in the light of heaven and eternity. We're babies. We barely know our Bibles. We barely speak to our Heavenly Father. We have a lot of knowledge, but we're babies. And so he's full of grace. He's full of love. But God be thanked that though you were slaves to sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that, that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Here it is. Who has this? And you know where you're headed. And the beauty of the gospel is that you can lie to your pastor, you can lie to your elder, but you can lie to yourself or to God. Because sometimes in those deep, quiet moments when you have been lying to yourself for weeks or perhaps months or years, there are those quiet moments where you recognize you're far from home. So the question we have to answer ourselves is who has your heart? Because those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus, Revelation 12, 11 says they love not their lives even when faced with death. Why? Because if Jesus has my heart, you can take my body. I have a home in glory. And I will see him again. That's why Job, my favorite phrase in Job, is when he tells Jesus, or God himself, even if you kill me, even if you slay me, in you will I trust. That is in the darkest moments. That is in the moments when he is suffering in pain, he still recognized, I got a bone to pick with you. I want some questions answered, but I know, and I'm not going to go anywhere because you have the words of life. And one day when I see you face to face, you will answer my questions and I will be home free from the pain and the suffering that we've been studying. Look at this notion of dying to self and denying to self. I put them in the gospels. All like this so we can see him. And he who does not take his cross, the cross wasn't an instrument like a time out and then you can go on your merry way. The cross was an instrument which led to death. So Christ takes, bids us take his cross and follow me. Who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. When he had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Then he said to them also, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. How often? God is full of integrity. God is does not lie. He is truth. He is love. And he has made it clear in his word and in his covenant stipulations all the conditions for eternal life. We are saved by grace and his love is unconditional. But as we said last night, to receive the benefits of his love, the positive benefits of his love, then we must be those people who have died to self, whose heart is surrendered to Christ, and who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
I have been crucified. This is why Paul can say, and remember, Paul was a murderer, a persecutor of God's church, and that's why he can say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus died for our behalf, on our behalf. Jesus also became sin on our behalf. That's why God did not condemn righteous Jesus. He condemned wicked Jesus, the one who took the sins of the world, your sin, my sin. And Paul says, I have been crucified with him because he died. And now I live because he lives. And like the song says, I can face tomorrow because he lives. I can face the pain, the suffering, the evil, because now I know that, that God allows certain things because in the end he will make it all right for those who believe in him. I've been crucified with Christ. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And how do we declare it? Or do you not know that all those who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. That's why the symbolism and the ritual of baptism is so important. Now, baptism itself doesn't save us. A thief on the cross, as far as we know, was never baptized. But Christ has stood in his place. But if we have the opportunity to be baptized, and those of us who have been baptized, it's the symbolism is clear. We, in our sinful selves, are buried in the watery grave. We leave our sinful self behind. We come back up new creatures imitating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we've been raised from the dead, the majority of those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus have been baptized. And baptism is like your wedding, a public declaration to your friends and to your church family and to those who are present that I am married to one and one alone when it comes to God's. And that is the only true God. The one who understands suffering and pain the one who walked in our shoes, the one who wasn't so high and mighty that he couldn't come down, the one who left all of glory to take your place on that cross. And so we end with this quote from a famous author, from a famous book. If you haven't read it, the name of the book is called The Cost of Discipleship. And I love this quote. I haven't used many quotes. I think this is only the second quote I've used in this series. C.S. Lewis was one. Oh, the Bible commentary was the second. So this is the third one. When Christ calls a man or woman, 
he bids them come and die. Die to the pleasures of this world. Die to the allurement of this world. Die to the things of this world. And to live for Christ. But you know what's the beauty? Is that your life doesn't become a drudgery. I'm more happier now in Christ than I ever was in the world. Just like when you have abused your taste buds and you clean up your taste buds, you begin to taste what real food tastes like. Once you become dead to this world and alive in Christ, you begin to see the beauty even in the midst of the pain and the suffering. How can all these disciples go to their graves as martyrs and still go with voices of singing and, and still witnessing? Many in the books, Fox Book of Martyrs, go to their... I mean, you get burned in the toaster and it hurts. And these people are singing in the flames. Why? Because my grace is made perfect in weakness. And so, if the cross of Christ is the only death you experience, and you never let the power of the cross of Christ lead to your own dying to self and choosing God, then you will not be part of God's commandment people who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. And tomorrow night, as we close, those who do not accept this death will accept the death that we will speak of tomorrow night. And we will conclude tomorrow night with a conversation between God and Satan that is in the Bible that we hardly ever speak about, but it makes total sense when we see it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we can live up to the vows of our baptism if we have been baptized. Lord, and if we haven't been baptized, may we come to that point where we declare to the world that we want to follow you. Father, you have bid us to come and die, to take up our cross and follow you. You have poured all of heaven in your Son. You have given us clear guidance how to be in a relationship with you. But you will not force us, Lord. And so I pray that you give us your Holy Spirit, that we may exclaim like Paul, it is no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me. In your Son's precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org and you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you and have a great day.